returning to the words of our canticle actually taken from Luke chapter 1, the words of the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah. He says, In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Earlier this week, our assistant for pastoral care, Chris, Craig Jones, and I were discussing uh, Advent and Christmas and the relationship between the two seasons, and Chris made a very astute observation. For all the multitude of characters in the Christmas story, there is one who is conspicuously absent from all of our cards and crushes and other holiday paraphernalia, and it's John the Baptizer. And it's so true. I was thinking like in our St. Michael's Christmas pageant that we have on Christmas Eve at the 4.30 service, we have the whole cast of characters, the angels and the shepherds and the sheep and the wise men and Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And because we are a very traditional church, we also have the Christmas chicken. <laughs> there is a Greek text that speaks of the Christmas chicken. And so every year we like to honor the Christmas chicken. But we don't have John the baptizer. And I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons that John gets lost amidst all of the holiday hubbub is because, to be honest, Christmas isn't really his season. It's Advent. But the season of Advent is the thing that really gets lost in the shuffle. And I think in part because Advent doesn't quite sell as much as well as Christmas does. I mean, can you imagine a Christmas card with John the Baptist on the front of it. I mean, I think I might have a business idea here if anybody wants to go in on it with me. John the Baptist on the front of the card, all disheveled in his bare feet and camel hair poncho. He hasn't showered in like three years. He's got a big gnarly beard filled with dead bugs and honey in it. This menacing stare. He's probably missing teeth, I imagine, like a hockey player. And then you open up the card and it says in all caps with an exclamation mark, Stop sinning. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Let me know if anybody's interested. Alas, thanks to retail economics, Advent has seemed to have evolved into one long uh, like pre-Christmas tailgate party, basically leaving John as a man without a season. And it is up to the church to do her best to safeguard the season of Advent. And with it, John the baptizer and his crucial message of repentance. Advent is the season of preparation for the coming of our Lord. And John's role is that one that the prophet Isaiah tells us of, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, to prepare the way of the Lord. And if we excavate Advent from the glut of all of the commercialized glitz, we can see very clearly that this season of preparation of Advent 
it actually ends, not gradually, doesn't fade or diminish, but it ends very abruptly, in an instant, in the blink of an eye. And this is part of the power of recognizing Advent. It ends with the rising of the sun on Christmas Day. As, Zechariah says, the dawn from on high breaks beautifully and gloriously upon us. The hymn we just sung spoke so well to this imagery. It's not difficult for us to grasp this suddenness of the story of the first Advent, of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Mary's pregnant. Now she's not. Baby in the womb, baby in the manger. Same with these seasons, season of Advent and suddenly season of Christmas. Every parent knows that you can plan and prepare all you want, but the day will come when the planning and preparation ends and that new little life takes its first breath and a whole new season begins. It's a bit like a light switch. Now it's dark, now it's light. But what we sometimes fail to consider is that Jesus' second advent is pretty much the same way. His coming again in glory will also take place with the same kind of abruptness and suddenness as the first advent. And this we do well to ponder during this season of preparation. As part of my own um, Advent study, I revisited an essay by C.S. Lewis titled The World's Last Night. Sounded like it might be an Advent theme, and it is. In it, Lewis elucidates this abruptness of Christ's second coming in a way that only he can. He writes, We have been taught to think of the world as something that grows slowly towards perfection, something that progresses or evolves. The doctrine of the second coming is deeply uncongenial, he says, to the whole evolutionary or developmental character of modern thought. Christian apocalyptic, that is, the belief in the second coming, offers us no such hope. It does not even foretell a gradual decay. It foretells a sudden end imposed from without, an extinguisher popped onto the candle, a brick flung at the gramophone, a curtain rung down on the play. Halt, he writes. By the way, what a rude image, the brick flung at the gramophone. Whoa. How then are we to live both with the certainty of our Lord's sudden coming again, but that uncertainty of not knowing the when. Lewis invites us in his essay to live every moment of every year of our lives in light of the question posed by John Donne, the 17th century poet. And this is where he gets the title of his essay. The question is, what if this present were the world's last night? And he goes on to liken our lives on earth as characters in a play. And all of the limitations that we have as the characters in the play that we don't even realize. He says, we assume that we know the play. We do not know the play. We don't even know whether we're in act one or five. We do not know who the major or the minor characters are. The author knows, 
the audience, if there is an audience, if angels and archangels and all the company of heaven fill the pit and stalls, they may have an inkling, but we, never seeing the play from the outside, never meeting any characters, this is really fascinating, never meeting any characters except the tiny minority who are on stage in the same scenes that we are, wholly ignorant of the future, very imperfectly informed about the past, cannot tell at what moment the end ought to come. That it will come when it ought, we may be sure. We are led to expect, he says, that the author will have something to say to each of us on the part that each of us has played. And he concludes by saying, the playing it well is what matters infinitely. The playing it well, this it was, is what matters the most. The best way for us to prepare for our Lord's coming again in glory is by playing well the role that he has given us to play. And each one of us, by the way, has unique and different roles. The best way to prepare is by being faithful to that which he has called us to in this life. And we could extend this metaphor of the play, which I think is, is worth meditating on. We could extend it and think of John the Baptist's message to the people of God a bit like a casting call, an invitation for us to take our proper place in God's play. And the call to repentance is the beginning. It is a call. The Greek word uh, for repentance means to turn, to turn from whatever way or path or role or behavior we think we're supposed to play and to begin playing the part that God has called us to play. Or to use different biblical imagery, it is a turning simply from darkness toward light. John, playing his part, knew that the dawn from on high, the light of Christ, has burst into the world. So he urges people to turn away from the darkness and toward that light, to receive the light of Christ. <clears throat> there is a songwriter from Chicago named Jeff Tweedy who recently came out with a new album. He's been through a lot in recent years, including a profound drug addiction from which he is now recovering, thank God. And on the title track of the album, he sings these words. I don't believe in heaven. I keep some heat inside, like a red brick in the summer, warm when the sun has died. I don't know why Jeff Tweedy doesn't believe in heaven, but we'll set that aside. We'll leave that for him to wrestle through. But I'd like for a moment to ponder this haunting and thought-provoking imagery of the brick. I keep some heat inside like a red brick in the summer, warm even when the sun has died. Bricks retain heat from the sun. And even in the evening after the sun has set, they can retain that warmth. But of course, eventually, that heat from the sun's energy will fade even from the brick in the absence of the sun. 
This imagery speaks to the heart of the Christian faith, which is the profession that our Lord Jesus Christ is this light of the world, the sun. Through him, the warmth and light and love of God has broken in and shines upon us his creation, those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. And in time, like the red brick, we will begin to retain this heat. It will radiate from within us. And the Son of God has also died, but death did not prevail. You know the story. He rose again from the dead, defeating darkness and death for good, so that now this warmth and light and life of Almighty God radiates upon all of creation for all of eternity. This is the hope and calling we have in Christ. We live in between two Advents. This is part of what makes the season of Advent both confusing but also compelling. We live in between his first Advent, his birth in Bethlehem, and his second Advent, which we await, his coming again in glory. This in-between is the age of the church. And there are many things that have happened in this in-between, but chief among them is our Lord's resurrection from the dead. The risen Christ radiates the glory of God to all of humanity. And by the power of his spirit dwelling in us and through the sacraments of his holy church, we're not just invited to participate, but we are ignited actually with that same light of the risen Christ, transformed into his likeness, called to become partakers of this radiant, glorious, and life-giving light, now in this age, so that when he appears again in glory, in all of his brilliance, it will be something like this vast array of divine lights uniting finally with him who is the light. St. Simeon, the new theologian, 10th century Byzantine Christian monk, writes, Do not deceive yourselves. God is fire. And when he came into the world and became man, he sent fire on the earth, as he himself says. This fire turns about searching to find material. That is a disposition and an intention that is good to fall into and to kindle. It becomes a great flame which reaches heaven. This flame at first purifies us from the pollution of passions. This is like that refiner's fire that the prophet Malachi was spoke of in our reading. And then it becomes in us food and drink and light and joy and renders us light ourselves because we participate in his light. So it is that John the baptizer urges us to continue to live lives of repentance and renewal, to turn from darkness toward light that we would be filled with that light. And finally, in anticipation of the second coming, we return to C.S. Lewis, who challenges us to train ourselves, he says, to ask more and more often how the thing that we are saying or doing, or failing to say or do, as the case may be, how that thing at each moment will look when the irresistible light streams in upon it. 
that light which is so different from the light of this world, and yet even now, we know just enough of it to take into account because of the risen Christ. He says, he concludes with this image. He says, women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light how a dress will look by daylight. That is very like the problem of each one of us, to dress our souls not for the electric lights of this present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress, that is, the good life, is the one that will face that light, for that light will last longer. Let us pray. Merciful God, who didst send thy messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.